Michael Vannin, and welcome to Second Breakfast Discussing Middle-Earth. This is episode number three of this podcast, and I'm excited to be back with a topic I was always curious about and didn't really know about until researching for this very episode. Last episode, we discussed Melkor, the first Dark Lord on Middle-Earth, and the one before that, we discussed the Istari, or the Five Wizards. So after this episode, go back if you haven't already. Um, news from the Facebook group, I asked you all what you want, what you would want to hear more about um, from everything we spoke on during episode 2 because we went through a lot of the early history of Middle-earth, but didn't touch on everything in great detail. I loved all of your ideas, so keep them coming. Keep telling me what you want to hear about. This episode, we are leaving the first age and heading to the end of the second age when the kingdom of Arnor was founded. It's a name we see on the map, sometimes hear about, but don't all really know what it's about. So let's dive right into it when it was first founded. Arnor was officially founded near the end of the Second Age, in the year 3320, when Elendil and the faithful Numenorians escaped Numenor's fall and landed on the west coast of Middle-earth. In fact, there was already a Numenorian settlement there, because some Numenorians migrated to Middle-earth as early as the year 600 of the Second Age. The Kingdom of Gondor was founded at the same year, and collectively they became known as the Realms of the Dúnedain in Exile, or Realms in Exile for short. Elendil, the High King, ruled the Realms of Arnor, while his sons Isildur and Anarion ruled Gondor under his command. The men of those kingdoms were mostly of mixed descents, the early Numenorians mixing with the local leftover Edain population. Only the Numenorians that came with Elendil were pure Numenorians, and thus standed taller, stronger, and lived longer. The true Dúnedain. This, along with uh, being respected for their lineage to Elros, led the Dúnedain to discourage intermarriage with the lesser men out of fear that their strength and gifts would be lost. The Dúnedain had great relationship with the elves, at least those in Arnor did, for they were close to Gilgalad, who was also in the northwest regions of Middle-earth, namely the land of Linden to Arnor's west. For nearly a century, they strove and lived in peace. That is until Sauron returned to Middle-earth and plotted his revenge. Before all of this, Sauron was the reason behind Numenor's fall. The Numenorians bested his plans during the Second Age and took him as a hostage to Numenor, where he worked his evil from within. He brought discord to the people, introducing them to pride and spreading lies to them about the Valar. He even turned them to worship Melkor. I will go over the fall of Numenor in a different episode, but long story short, the Numenorians rebelled against Eru and the Valar, and as a result, the island of Numenor was lost under the ocean. Only Elendil and those who followed him were granted the grace of escaping the fall, for they, they stayed true to Eru and the Valar, thus being named the Faithful. But Sauron escaped the fall, and begrudged Elendil and the Faithful for their opposition against him in Numenor, and their friendship with the elves. Thus, he attacked neighboring Gondor from Mordor, first capturing Minas Ithil, which later became known as Minas Morgul, and he burned the white tree that grew there. However, they did save a sapling, and it was taken and planted in Minas Tirith. 
Anarion defended Osgiliath and Minas Arnor, also known as Minas Tirith, while his brother Isildur went to his father Elendil in Arnor. In the next year, Elendil and Gilgalad formed the last alliance. The hosts of the realms in exile allied with the hosts of Linden and Imladris, also known as Rivendell, where Elrond ruled as Gilgalad's herald. They were later joined by the dwarves of Khazad-dûm and the elves from Lorien and Greenwood the Great, later to be known as Mirkwood. The last alliance marched to the plains of Dagorlad, just north of Mordor, where they battled against Sauron's army of orcs and other such evil creatures. This plain later became known as the Dead Marshes, which we all remember from the Lord of the Rings movies. The last alliance broke through into Mordor and laid siege on Barad-dûr, where Sauron hid for seven years. During the sixth year of that siege, Anarion was killed, and on the seventh, Sauron himself revealed himself to, from Barad-dûr in an attempt to break the siege. I will read from the Silmarillion and of this scene when Sauron faces his enemies. Then Gilgalad and Elendil passed into Mordor and encompassed the stronghold of Sauron, and they laid siege to it for seven years and suffered grievous loss by fire and by the darts and bolts of the enemy. And Sauron sent many sorties against them. There in the valley of Gorgoroth, Anarion, son of Elendil, was slain, and many others. But at the last, the siege was so straight that Sauron himself came forth, and he wrestled with Gilgalad and Elendil, and they were both slain. And the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. But Sauron also was thrown down, and with the hilt shard of Narsil, Isildur cut the ruling ring from the hand of Sauron, and took it for his own. Then Sauron was for that time vanquished, and he forsook his body, and his spirit fled away and hid in waste places, and he took no visible shape again for many long years. With Sauron's defeat, the Third Age began. He fled in spirit to the corners of Middle-earth, which would have allowed the realms in exile to flourish once more. But that did not happen. It, quite the opposite. With Elendil slain, Isildur was the high king of Arnor and Gondor. But in only year two of the Third Age, he and his three eldest sons were slain in the Battle of the Gladden Fields, where the One Ring was lost for thousands of years. Yet before he died, he had bidden Anarion's son Meneldil to govern Gondor, and with Isildur's death, he claimed the title King of Gondor. Meanwhile, Isildur's youngest son, Valendil, took the throne as the High King of Arnor. Neither he nor his successors laid claim to Gondor, and thus the realms in exile became two separate kingdoms. For several centuries, Arnor waned. It was divided into three petty kingdoms, which often battled with one another, dwindling their strength in arms and their population leaving Gondor to become the more powerful kingdom. The petty kingdoms were known as Rudaur, Cardolan, and Arthedain. Things were further worsened with the rise of Angmar in the north, led by none other than the Witch King, the Lord of the Nazgul. He made war against the petty kingdoms one by one, turning the hillmen of the area to his cause. The Witch King invaded and took over Rudaur, and nearly took Cardolan by force as well, before a plague actually finished the job. The last of the three kingdoms, and the strongest, was Arthedain, where the line of Isildur still remained intact. 
And though the Witch King came close to defeating them as well, Lyndon and Imladris came to their aid and drove the Witch King back. But the war was not over. The Witch King sent sorcerers to fallen Cardolan, where they corrupted the spirits of the dead Dunedain in the region known as the Barrow Downs. These corrupted spirits became Whites, or the Barrow Whites, which were similar to Wraiths, and they kept the Dunedain from rebuilding Cardolan as a kingdom. And after a few hundred years, the kingdom of Arthodine finally succumbed to the might of the Witch King, and the kingdom was officially lost in the year 1974 when he took Fornost, the capital of Arthodine, and claimed it as his own. However, several years earlier, Arthodine and Gondor had officially allied with each other, the first such alliance since Isildur's death. And one year after the taking of Fornost, an army from Gondor sailed to the Grey Havens led by their general and future king, Eärnir. And with the elves from Linden aiding them, along with the remaining Dúnedain, they set off against the Witch King in what would be called the Battle of Fornost. Elves from Rivendell came to their aid, led by Glorfindel. They managed to defeat the Witch King's forces, and when the Prince of Gondor went to pursue the fleeing Witch King, Glorfindel actually stopped him, saying this prophecy. Do not pursue him. He will not return to these lands. Far off yet is his doom, and not by the hand of man shall he fall. Yet the Dúnedain were nearly all but wiped out, and the kingdom of Arthodine and of Arnor would not be rebuilt by them. The Dúnedain became nomadic, wandering the northern lands, keeping the line of kings intact, and protecting the land, namely the Shire, Bree, and others. These Dúnedain became known as the Rangers of the North, and instead of kings, the heirs of Isildur were called chieftains. And this brings us back to the events of The Lord of the Rings where Aragorn II, the then chieftain of the Dúnedain, began his badassery. But first, he and Arwen, Elrond's daughter, fell in love. Yet Elrond would not give Aragorn her hand in marriage unless he became king of both Gondor and Arnor. This, like most of Aragorn's and Arwen's love story, mirrors Baron and Luthien's story from the First Age, where Luthien's elven father would not give her to Baron, a man, unless he could bring him one of the Silmarils from Morgoth's crown. This is one thing the movies changed. In the books, Aragorn actually embraced his lineage and his right to rule the kingdoms. When he aided Gandalf with seeing Frodo and the Ring to Rivendell, and then joined the Fellowship, Aragorn reforged the Shards of Narsil into Anduril, and they set off. I think we all know the rest of the story from there, and it has little to do with Arnor. When Sauron is utterly defeated, Aragorn is crowned King Elisar, and then reforms both Gondor and Arnor as the reunited kingdom in the first year of the Fourth Age. He rebuilt the cities of Arnor that were lost in their earlier wars, and all land that Arnor, and Gondor for that matter, save Rohan, was reclaimed. The kingdom of Arnor has quite a detailed history for not being heavily explained in the narratives. In The Lord of the Rings, we really only see some of the aftermath, like the ruins of Amon Sul or Weathertop, or the Barrow Whites and the Barrow Downs. We do get to know a bit about Aragorn's ranger life, but not much about the kingdom he was to reform. In any regard, I hope you learned something about Arnor, because I know I have. It's been something I've always wondered about, Arnor being almost like a mythical kingdom that once existed long ago.
Now, I may find it more fascinating than Gondor. But you know what? That is a great poll and topic discussion for the Facebook group. Which do you find more fascinating, the Kingdom of Arnor or Gondor? If you aren't part of the group yet, it's called Discussing Middle-Earth on Facebook as part of the Facebook page for this podcast. As for this upcoming Monday, I have a super interesting topic planned. Who is Tom Bombadil? Remember reading through the Fellowship of the Ring and there is that one weird dude that sang a bunch of songs and wore a funny hat? Oh, and saved Frodo from the Barrow Whites? Yeah, well, he's not just some dude in a funny hat. In fact, there's a lot of hidden controversy about the seemingly unimportant character. And I'm really excited to go through it. Until then, farewell.